What's going on, y'all? It's your boy JT007. I just want to say thank you again to all the listeners. Thank you right now that's listening. Once again, man, please subscribe. Please like, please share. Please leave some comments to me. Let me know you're listening. Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. Please spread the word. I got a special, special thing coming at y'all. The first time we've ever done anything like this. And hold on, let me finish. We have a series, a little mini series that I'm bringing to you all. Um, it's called This Is America. This Is America with a question mark. Um, as in a question. Is this America? This is what I'm asking right now. And it's going to be probably about five parts. Have a lot of different guests coming on to talk about some things that's going on right now. Stay tuned, stay locked, stay focused. Like I said, subscribe so you can catch it all. Hold on, let me finish. 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 What's going on, y'all? It's your boy, JT007, coming at y'all with a special episode. Today, we come with a serious topic. Um, it's a current event segment today. Today, we're just going to talk about everything going on in uh, America, everything going on in Indianapolis. Um, I got some special guests with me today. I have Latasha, who is a community psychology major. Um, and I also have Jill, who's also a community psychology major. Um, I wanted to get two therapists on here so they can kind of give their insight on what everybody's going through mentally right now. Um, I also have Misha, who is a community engagement consultant, um, and she will shed some light on that as well. And I also have Dart. You guys are familiar with him. Uh, he was on our last episode, our basketball episode. Um, he's back again. He doesn't just talk sports. He talks everything, so we wanted to bring him back in, and also wanted to bring these people, these individuals in for their unique insight and uh, individual perspectives, but also because they all have children, and um, me not having any children, I wanted to make sure I had some parents on the podcast to talk about, you know, raising black children. Um, these are all African Americans I have on the podcast today, too, as well, um, and so without further ado, uh, Latasha, if you don't mind, just kind of shedding some light on uh, what you do. Um, and as far as like, you know, your therapeutic insight and on everything going on in today in America. Thanks, Josh, for letting me be here today. Um, you know, thank you everyone for listening in. Um, you know, like you all, I am shocked, surprised, and disappointed, um, frustrated, and most importantly, I'm fearful. I, I have three young males that I'm raising, um, 17, 14, and 9. And although, as Josh shared, I have a master's in community psychology, I also have a master's in business administration, which means I also have a bachelor's. We have a home in a great part of Indianapolis. They're being raised in one of the best districts in the city. Um, I run a company. Um, none of that matters because of the color of their skin. So the atmosphere today is very scary for me as a parent, but even more so for me as a therapist. Um, I'm here, you know, to talk about the anger, frustration that our community is showing in their pro 
protesting and they're rioting, a lot of it is just coming from the anger that they don't know how to share any other way. You know, our community hasn't listened to us for years. Um, the Civil Rights Movement was just 50 years ago. So in light of that and being in Indianapolis, seeing all the, the things that we've seen, you know, it's just very important that we be able to have a live discussion about the concerns that we have for our community. Thank you. Thank you so much, Latasha. Like I said, I definitely wanted to make sure I had some therapeutic perspective on this podcast because I feel like a lot of what's going on is um, experienced by trauma. You know, um, a lot of people don't really understand the rioting and the looting that's going on. Um, and that's because you really can't understand it unless you've been through that situation or seen it uh, close hand and not just necessarily seeing a friend or um, somebody you care about, but you know, being that friend or necessarily being in that same, like I said, race culture, being able to really tap into it. A lot of people want to take from black culture, but don't necessarily want to support blacks when they go through things like this. So I definitely wanted to make sure I had, like I said, that therapeutic insight. And so uh, I wanted to pass it over to Jill. Um, if you don't mind, like I said, just going ahead and giving your uh, insight on what you is, uh, like I said, what you do right now too as well. Um, hello everybody. Uh, my name is Jill, as um, previously said. Uh, basically, right now I'm working as a behavior management therapist. Uh, I also do work in life coaching. Uh, I've seen a lot of things escalate, not only during um, the COVID-19 situation, but also during what's going on in our society, especially concerning the uh, mistreatment of black people, uh, minorities, etc. But um, today I will be speaking probably more as a mom and as a concerned citizen. Okay, thank you, Jill. Thank you, Jill. Like I said, those are my two therapists I want to have on the podcast. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and pass this over to Misha, who's our community engagement consultant. If you don't mind going ahead and tapping into what, you, what it is you do and your perspective on everything a little bit. So my key focus is on enhancing quality of life for families, especially black families. Um, the work that I do is in community resources, so making sure that the clients that I work with are able to provide access to the individuals that they serve. Um, my heart and passion is in grassroots organizations because for so long, major organizations will receive funds and not know how to disperse it to the people that need it the most. And so I'm kind of standing in the gap to make that connection and make sure that the people are receiving it and actually getting access to it. So prior to COVID, this was something that was already on my heart and mind just making sure that they're at the tables that would give them the things that they need. And um, since the COVID crisis, the work has been astronomical. Um, being able to make sure that the most vulnerable populations are not being forgotten and disenfranchised. So that's where my, my key work is right now. See, and, and, and that is a pivotal, pivotal perspective. And I'm so glad, Misha, that you're on this podcast today to not only share about yourself being a mother of uh, children of African-American descent, but also helping these families as well. And that's pivotal to talk about because a lot of people just take what they see and don't necessarily know what's really going on in the trenches in today's society. And so I thank you for being on this podcast too. Thank you. Um, Dart, thank you again, my man, for being on this podcast. Appreciate it. Um, I know I said I was going to be bringing you back. This wasn't necessarily what I thought I was going to bring you back for, but... <laughs> I'm glad you did come back on this one. Um, and I just want to go ahead and open this one up to everybody. I'll start with you, Dart, since everybody kind of already knows where, who you are. Um, what are your thoughts on what do you see right now? 
with the George Floyd case, um, and now it is a case because the officer has been um, arrested. Um, I believe they charged him a third degree murder, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so what are your and, thoughts? And on manslaughter. That? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you for not leaving that off. Yeah. Um, manslaughter as well. Um, but it did take a while, and people. I'll, I'll, I'll wait to give my, my point of view. Like I said, I want to hear what your thoughts are. What are your thoughts on everything you see right now? Well, my thoughts are that the charges weren't strong enough because third-degree murder and manslaughter, you can plead that shit out to probation. So he may not ever spend a day in jail. Um, from my perspective, my, from my particular perspective, he needs to be put up under the jail because he essentially murdered that man in broad daylight in front of everyone to see. Um, and that's what continues to happen to us um, when I say us, I'm referring to black men. Regardless of the fact that if you are Puerto Rican, Dominican, at the end of the day, when you get put up by the police, you are a black man. No matter where you're from, no matter if you got, you know, if you married to to someone who's not black, if you have not other children who are mixed race, it doesn't it matter. At the end of the day, when the cops pull you over, they see a black man and a the minute they pull you over, you are weaponized for whatever reason, for why, whatever cause they have, any of that. So that police officer who put his ne- put his knee on that man's neck for eight and a half minutes needs to be put up under the jail. Okay, okay. Well, I appreciate your your strong take on that one, Dart. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and go with you, Misha. Um, I'm interested to hear what you have to say, especially with your community engagement background. What do you think? So my main concern is the fact that there were people watching. Um, There was someone recording. And it was just such that we're desensitized and nothing else happened. Like, somebody could have rushed him and tried to get the police officer off of him, but we didn't do that. And I don't know if it's because we didn't expect for the outcome to be that, but I feel like there there could have been more done. but at the same time, I'm tired of seeing life after life taken every other month or weeks at a time. Just in these past three months, we've seen so many different lives that have been taken. And it's like, what is it that's going to make it stop? Um, if it's a matter of burning up something to get some attention, burn it up. Mm-hmm. If that's what has to happen. Um, but people are hurting now. People need some relief and response and the poverty gap is just widening so if we can't see that change and make that impact now it's only going to get worse so. okay misha um i apologize for any background noise you guys may hear we're recording this outside wanted to make sure we're in tune with everything going on um i also wanted to ask you misha when you said that we could have did more in that situation do you think it's possible that those individuals on the scene could have been possibly scared for their own lives if they would have interjected in that situation? I think so. I think there could have definitely been some fear. But even your fellow officers, if you see he's going too far, hey man, let up. If you notice, his hands are in his pockets to try to make it nonchalant. But he's leaning in with his feet off the ground, putting all of his weight on this man. Somebody could have said something. How do you feel about the other officer on the scene that was talking a lot with the cameraman? Um, it was, I believe he was uh, of Asian descent, if I'm okay. not mistaken. Um, and it never really seemed like, from my perspective anyway, that he really looked back at the police officer mm-hmm. much to see what he was really doing. It not was just kind of like he had 
just full confidence that he was doing the right thing or just wanted to... I'm going to get into this a little later on my real thoughts on it or my full thoughts on everything, but how do you feel about that situation as far as seeing that cop in that situation when you far, as far as talking about them doing more and speaking up at the time? I think there was definitely some avoidance. Now knowing his background and his history of having some misconduct and issues, he probably knew, just turn your back, he's going to do whatever he wants to anyway. So in that moment and situation, he probably just let it fly, let it slide. Um, and that's unfortunate. Because if their role is to protect and serve everybody, no matter who they are, what their socioeconomic background is, he should still have been able to step in and do that. I, I totally agree with you there. Jim, what are your thoughts? Um, when we think about um, why didn't everyday citizens run up and help George uh, out of the situation, but well, we know why. Mm -hmm. If they would have ran up to help, um, they would have been seen as hostile. And then we would have had two or three deaths instead of maybe one. Um, one of the things I tell my children is do what you know is right to do, regardless of what anybody else is doing. And uh, one of the things that's most disturbing to me is that we expect everyday citizens to um, be more responsible than trained government officials. At what point do you all hold each other responsible? At what point does somebody say, hey, man, wait wait a minute, hold on, he's not breathing, because mm -hmm. they are more trained. And if we could see it with our naked eye, because I'm just a layman, everyday citizen on the street, I'm going to go to the store and get some eggs or something. This is something that's graphic to me. But this is something that these police officers have been trained to do. And if we do not hold government officials responsible, accountable, then how do you expect us to tell our kids or to treat our kids to have respect for these individuals? So some of this thing is just basic, it's basic sense, and we're acting like it's some kind of complex, deep question. Um, the fact of the matter is, I think I read that the officer was on his neck for eight minutes or so. Um, eight minutes doesn't sound like a lot when you're rushing to go to the store, but eight minutes when you're in pain, um, when you were in a, um, a hostile situation seems like forever. And to say that another cop or another police officer trained, like I said, they're employees, they're trained. Um, when we say that you didn't realize that this was going on, it's a farce. Mm -hmm. And let's just call it what it is. Tasha, what do, what do you think about that? Just, re just hearing the recap from Misha and Jill actually brings tears to my eyes because at eight and a half minutes anything over eight minutes you're brain dead um and from what i read he was unconscious for two and a half minutes of the eight and a half minutes um he screamed out for his mother who had passed away so if you have a religious background he's already seen the light he he already knows i'm dying i'm suffering um, and just the, you know, I didn't, I couldn't bring myself to watch the whole video. Um, and I thought of my brother, I thought of my uncles, I thought of my grandfather and my father. And I thought about the civil rights movement, not being just, but an eye blink away, um, that it could have been any of the people that are close to us. It brought to mind Michael Taylor in 1987. It brought to mind Rodney King in 1992. 
it brought to mind um, Ahmad just recently it brought to mind Sandra Bland it, it just it resonated so much to me is that at some point when does it stop you know as I shared earlier I'm raising my three sons and I'm scared now I know why my mother stayed up all night waiting for my brother to come home and my grandmother stayed up all night waiting for my uncles to come home this is not new to us yeah um, I mean I 100% agree with definitely everything you just said um, and I agree with a lot of what everybody said here um, and that's why I really wanted everybody on not just because I felt like I was going to agree with some of your sentiments but just like I said fresh perspectives different perspectives in your backgrounds unique backgrounds at that um, we needed those professional insights to, to really tap in and hopefully people really take a hold of this message and listen and learn something here today. And um, one thing I really wanted to ask, and it actually wasn't even something I had planned to ask everybody, do you guys feel like that um, this time during COVID-19 has really helped put emphasis on what is going on in today in America? Because, you know, we just had the Sean Reed um, killing here in Indianapolis. Um, we just had the uh, woman in Louisville who they wrongly ran into the Taylor. wrong, yeah, um, wrongly, uh, wrongly ran into the wrong home. I'm um, in that situation, and there's and then many more from there. Like you said, Sandra Bland, we have Freddie Taylor. There's been a lot of stuff going on. Um, do you guys feel like this COVID-19 time where the country's really kind of slowed down and the world's really trying to really kind of slow down, where everybody's really just pretty much in their homes, working from homes? Do you think this time has really helped put emphasis on what's going on in the color community, black community, uh, and with colored people all around the world in general? Well, they say the idle mind is the devil's playground. Um, and when we're bored and when we don't have anything else to do, we find an outlet. Sometimes that's substance abuse. Um, sometimes that's just hanging with our friends and going with our family um, and doing positive things. But you also have to think, too, we've lost economy. Um, individuals lost jobs. Um, some people may not have already been in the workforce, but in times of fear, you start doing things that's pretty much out of your norm. So like when you're looting, you might be looting for food that you didn't have in your home. You might be looting for clothing and other things that you can sell later for money because you might need the money later. Um, so I think COVID-19 in itself brought on some concerns that most people don't think about. Anxiety, depression, sadness, loneliness. Um, some grief. people... Grief. It's, it's a level I was, of grief. Yeah, absolutely. Right and now. I think grief is not just when you lose a loved one. Grief is a loss of a job. Grief is a loss of income. Um, there's stages that happens when you lose anything. And so I think being, lack of a better word, being pinned up in our homes for two months allowed people to get caught up in their own thoughts, their own concerns, their own feelings. And now, not only are you feeling anxiety, depression, sadness, and loneliness, you now saw another one of your brothers, black brothers, murdered, broad daylight, in front of hundreds of people, now thousands and millions of people. That only brought back, like I shared earlier, some of the names of people that with me growing up who I saw murdered. You know, I didn't see it there I'm saying I wasn't there, but going through the process, you know, of being of age and hearing about it and finding, you know, people had killed people and unlawfully. And 
And I want to pray for our police officers, especially the ones that I know. I have family members that are police officers. And I know they do the right thing because I know they're stand-up individuals. But I pray for them that they're not in the wrong place at the wrong time when all of this this stuff is happening. Um, especially our EMTs and our firefighters and, and people like that. I mean, you know, prayer does a lot. At the same time, y'all didn't hear us when Kaepernick kneeled. You didn't hear us when Martin Luther King was speaking. He was murdered assassinated i mean at what point do we stop yeah and at the end of the day um what i pray for is because we can't double back we can't group our officers into the same category absolutely so i pray for those officers that are really trying to uphold the oath that they took um because i don't know how you would feel to be able to see some things that you know should not be able to happen, but you're scared to stand up, you're scared to step forward. So I pray for your safety because it has to be something to be able to take an oath to say, I stand up for the community, I'm here to protect, and to see when somebody else twists that. So I pray for those good cops who are scared. I pray for your strength. I pray for your bravery. I pray for your ethics. Because how do you go along and see this thing happen and not be able to stand up for it because I the community will stand behind you if you come out the community will stand behind you but I know you have a job you have things that you need to do so in the meantime uh, one of the things that uh, my concerns is about is uh, that we don't get used to this uh, that um, that we don't think this is just an everyday, uh, everyday thing, that we just don't find moments to react, that we become proactive. I think COVID-19 has given us the opportunity to slow down and to really focus and to think because our distractions have been lessened. And so now the things have gotten real. You know, it's thing, now it's time to get real about some stuff. Um, we know it's important now, and it's not just because, and I don't want to make this just a black thing, this is just a human being thing. Uh, I would feel the same concern if a Sean Reed was a, a young white man or if um, George was a, a, a black man, I mean a white man doing his thing. To me it's a human being thing. No human being deserves to be shot down, deserves to be killed, uh, unarmed, uh, not resisting. If they are resisting, there's ways to take them down because we see it done. We see people walking away with you know, machine guns, hold people hostages, et cetera, et cetera, and they get to go to jail, go through the proper system. I'm all for justice. Um, I just don't think justice should change um, depending on one's color and yeah. one's complexion. Um, yeah, just to interject there a little bit, I mean, I have been seeing a lot of those images floating around social media, um, differences in between um, individuals being arrested and how they were being handled by police as far as the mass uh, killings and stuff that was going on the one that was the Charleston killing the shooter there and they were um, giving them a bottle of water yeah 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 stuff like that thirsty. how they were handled for sure um, one of the things like I really wanted to, to chime in on and get you guys' feedback on too um, and like I said it's another thing that not even on my, my sheet here um, was just the fact of, I mean, I feel like a lot of the issue is with police officers is the fact of, I mean, sometimes we forget that they're human, they're, they're people like us. I mean, with that being said, not making an excuse for them, but with that being said, like, I feel like 
what needs to be done on their end is if you you as an officer yourself if you've had some trauma going on in the past with an individual of color or whatever else because a lot of times you're policing in neighborhoods that you're not even living in so you don't really know people in that area anyway and so if you had an instance in your past where maybe a black person's robbed you before or a black person's renting your house or maybe you just heard all your life that black people are bad you encounter a black person you're going to be a lot more alarmed and on, you know, self-aware of, you know, what's going on than what you would be maybe a white person. And I feel like that's a lot of what goes on and maybe a lot of fear creeps into individuals that aren't familiar with the black community or individuals with color in general. And they feel like they have to be hand on the hip when they're coming up to the car instead of being more relaxed when they're coming up to the car because they know it's a, a black person in the car compared to a white person. What do you guys feel about that? Do you think that factors in at all? or I think it thoughts? definitely does, which falls back on the responsibility of the police force to have cultural competency. Mm. So you connect with small grassroots organizations that will be your ear to the street or the neighborhood organizations that can tell you this is how things operate in this particular community because otherwise just like you said you'll base your fears on what you see on tv or what you heard from family members or past experience about how you operate within this certain culture Mm -hmm. learn them get to know them build rapport and that's how you develop relationships so that you have you know johnny on the next block who can tell you you know there's something going on around here let's make sure that we have some type of surveillance or some patrolling it's all about relationship development and if you can have a connection with those organizations that are grassroots that are on the ground that are connected with what's actually happening in the neighborhood people aren't as afraid Mm -hmm. and here locally we're talking about a a macro issue working with the um, George issue but locally we're kind of peeling off the band-aid right Mm -hmm. because Drayshawn Reed young man was just killed recently prior to that we also had the issue of the officer killed so indianapolis is going through a whole lot right now because that particular young lady she was definitely one of the good cops that was in the community working with domestic violence working with some youth programs and doing the work that needed to be done to develop those relationships so it's like how can we get more of those to be able to be in the trenches with us but she was doing the work because she's black. Right. So she understood the way she was growing up. I mean, and I'm not knocking her because her, her mother is white, so I don't want to like just push her mother to the side. But at the end of the day, society saw that black girl. So because she knew how she was raised, she understood what her community needed. And that's one thing that I think the police don't understand. Um, I know when I was a kid, and maybe some older people who may listen to this can understand too. Like there were there were not police officers in my school when I was in school. So the only time I dealt with police officers is when I was like out in the community. A lot of times these kids have been preconditioned to when they see a police officer, they're in trouble off top. Because for whatever reason that particular teacher can't control her cl- his or her classroom and they call the resource officer mm-hmm. and the resource officer comes into the classroom and now this black or brown kid is looking at this police officer for the very first time and he's in trouble so I think we need to try to get away from that like there there are inst- there are incidents and issues that happen in a classroom that 
don't need you to call the cops. They don't. They need you. They you need to understand. Like you went to school to be a teacher, so you need to understand how to handle your classroom. That's part of your training. So if you can't handle your classroom, I totally understand. So if there's you know five six kids in there fighting, then yeah, you call the resource officer. But if you feel disrespected, do I need to call? Do I need to call the the, the police in there? And nine times out of ten, that resource officer is a big white man. And he's dealing with this little black kid. So now this little black kid is intimidated by this big white man. And this big white man, good, bad, or indifferent, is doing his job. But the little black kid doesn't see that. The little black kid sees I'm in trouble and this big white man is telling me what to do. Now I am inferior to this big white man. That is a problem that we don't like to talk about. And what you... <clears throat> I'm sorry. What you're talking about, Dart, is um, very much trauma. Um, if we think back to our black community, um, how often have we heard, if you don't do what I tell you, I'm going to call the police on you. If you don't do what I tell you, you're going to go to juvenile. If you don't do what I tell you, you could get arrested. So already, you're right, our young black men have been conditioned mm -hmm. to think, Everything they do is possibly wrong and they could be going to jail or juvenile or they'll just be in trouble. Um, and it's very unfortunate. And you're right. The multicultural training, cultural competency should be spread across the board. Just like being a therapist. We have American Counseling Association and we have ethical guidelines that we must follow. We go through multicultural training, continuing education. Because there are some cultures who won't make eye contact with you. Mm -hmm. That is cultural. They're not being disrespectful. They're not being rude to me. Their culture is that when they're around an elder, they don't make eye contact. They look down. If I didn't have that multicultural training, I would think they're being disrespectful. And I think it's very important that for us to understand also, too, in times where we're misunderstood. Um, Brianne, who the officer was shot and killed a couple of weeks ago, was shot and killed by Elias Dorsey. I know Elias. Elias was a coach for my kids. He was a junior coach. Uh, Well-mannered young man, went to college to play football. Elias got on something, substance abuse, that impaired his thinking. Um, Brianne showed up at the door. He had already shared that he was hallucinating. He thought someone was after him. She said she was the police, but it was after he had already started shooting the gun. We must address our substance abuse problem also in our community. For so long, substance abuse has been like, it's okay to have a couple of drinks. It's okay to smoke that weed. It's not okay. Those drugs lead to other drugs which alter our thinking, our reaction to things. I'm so sad for Elias and his family. I'm so sad for Brienne, her son, and her family. And the crazy thing is I got friends that were friends with Brienne, but I also got friends and family of Elias. As a mental health therapist, I can't pick sides mm -hmm. because now everybody is facing this traumatic event. Her son is going to need therapy. Her family 
is going to need therapy. Elias won't be rehabilitated in prison. He already got moved to a location outside of Marion County to protect his life. The only reason why is because they're going to protect their own, which I completely understand that. But anybody thinking about Elias' mental health, anybody thinking about his mom and dad, who's possibly lost their son for life, his uncles, his aunts, his nieces, his nephews, who may never see this young man again. His whole life is, is over. Hers is too, but we lost two lives, one incident. George Floyd, I understand why people wouldn't have jumped in because the first thing they're thinking is, I'm going to get shot and killed. I, I honor those who say, I will stand with you in the street. I will be there to fight with you. Don't get yourself killed. Don't get yourself killed. Because at the end of the day, until we all come to a common agreement that we have an issue, we're all going to be facing death penalty and not the hands of an electric chair, not the hands of a lethal weapon, like a, a shot in prison. We, we have to be very mindful, um, do these things decent and in order as best we can. Although that's always the way our black culture has done things, we have to be very mindful to do things decent and in order. They don't hear us when we're angry. They don't hear us when we're quiet. We're going to have to find the right way to speak out. I just want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of Hold On, Let Me Finish. Thank you for tuning in for the part one of This Is America. I probably have about five to six episodes total coming in this mini-series. I already have a couple of conversations already recorded. Um, got a, two more I want to have. And so want to get all this content out for you, for everybody, so everybody can ingest something new and hopefully make a change. That's my whole goal with this. So I just want to ask yourself, I just want you to ask yourself, I should say, I'm sorry, is this America? Is this the America you want to live in? Are you ready to make a change? What are you doing to make change? Are you a part of the problem? Is this America?